I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Oh my goodness, my back hurts because we just helped your brother move into his house. Yeah. Unloading that moving truck. I know, but it didn't take very long, fortunately. It didn't. There was a bunch of people there, a bunch of strapping folks, mm-hmm. um, including yourself. Yep. And... Me, strapping me. That's what people, <laughs> how people describe me constantly. No, but you, you can haul. I sure can. You can haul. I mean, you spent your days bringing, dragging buckets of ice up and downstairs at that <laughs> restaurant a uh, long true. time ago. But yeah, no, it was, uh, it was great. We got it done really quickly. It was just a lot of heavy crap Right. Happy they're here, though. Oh, yeah. My niece is going to be nearby. So exciting. So excited. She's adorable. (laughs) She's the best. I would say the biggest thing I learned from that move is something I've long known to be true. I learned last time we moved is that if I can't fit that stuff in a tied up handkerchief on the back of a stick, (laughs) I'm not bringing it with me. (laughs) Bindles only. Yeah. Bindles only for the next move. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Look at that. Welcomed in the year with a song. <laughs> a very weird song. <laughs> it's <laughs> More beautiful. of a tone, really. I'm so excited for 23. Uh, I shouldn't say that because I said I was so excited for 20 and 21 and 22. Just another year. Regular old Just year. Stupid year. <laughs> I have the, I've, it's like bullet train. My expectations are so low. It can that only. It'll probably be shockingly good. I hope you're right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. But hey, we got a big story today, so do. I don't want to sit around here and banter too much. I, I say we get right into it. Yeah, I think so, too, because this is a really good one, a little complicated, awesome, interesting, crazy, really great suggestion also from our listener Milo Ira at Bon Mott Milo um, on Twitter. I think that he actually suggested this like way back in the day, but I'm so excited to finally be getting to this story because it was awesome. So today we're going to be talking about James Barry, who is a distinguished military doctor and surgeon who served in Cape Town, South Africa, and was the first European doctor to perform a successful C-section where both the mother and the baby survived. Barry was really well-respected, despite the fact that he was frequently tactless and he had a very confrontational personality. (laughs) But he still had great bedside manner and he instigated a lot of healthcare policies like better sanitation and hygiene, Mm. which improved lives everywhere he went. But after he died, a woman went to the press with a shocking story. Dr. James Berry was a woman. (gasps) So let's talk about Dr. James Berry's life, what people today think about his gender identity and sexuality, the ironic uh, public accusations of homosexuality with his good friend Charles Somerset, 
and the run-in with Florence Nightingale that cost him a knighthood. Ooh, I'm very excited. Let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. And before we jump in, just want to quickly say that most of our information about James Barry comes from Michael Dupree's and Jeremy Dronfield's 2016 biography, Dr. James Barry, A Woman Ahead of Her Time. Mm. So Dr. James Barry was born Margaret Ann Bulkley in Cork, Ireland, around 1789. And it wasn't an easy childhood. Margaret's father, Jeremiah, ran a wayhouse, but he was dismissed because of anti-Catholic sentiment. Classic wayhouse problems. Horrible. So he ended up spending time in debtor's prison, and Margaret and her mother, Marianne, had no support. Damn. Even worse, in 1804, another daughter was born named Juliana. And Jeremiah kicked Juliana, the 15-year-old Margaret, and his wife, Marianne, out of the house. Jeez. Now, many biographers believed that Juliana was actually Margaret's child, born oh. as the result of a childhood sexual assault. Yikes. Because after Dr. Barry died, stretch marks were discovered on his stomach, so people thought at some point he'd had a kid. Interesting. So do they think it was Jeremiah? No, actually, they think it was uh, his no-count uncle, Raymond Barry. Raymond Barry, that bastard. So... <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. If that's true, shame on you, Raymond. For if it's real. not true, what a what a an indictment of Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marianne wrote to her brother, who was a noted Irish painter and royal academician, Professor James Barry, for help. She was hoping that he would fund Margaret's education so that Margaret could become a teacher. Initially, this guy refused, but in February of 1806, he died suddenly after an illness and left a big inheritance to Marianne, and that allowed her and Margaret to kind of live pretty reasonably comfortable. And then, in 1809, Marianne received a letter from Jeremiah, her old husband, telling her that he had, quote, made up his mind to forgive. Now... <laughs> And for stealing me lucky charms. <laughs> Look, I got one Irish accent and it's hilarious. I'm sorry. Um, but see, this letter, making up his mind to forgive, this suggests that Juliana was Marianne's child from maybe an affair oh. and not the secret child of Margaret. Yeah. Now, there's also no evidence at the time of Margaret displaying any indications of pregnancy. You know, she didn't, no one wrote any journals saying that she had a lot of weight gain or illness or she wasn't, you know, sent away for a period of time, which that was a common cover-up for pregnancies back then. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, Margaret, well, poor lamb has a green and yellow melancholy. <laughs> She's been sent to the seaside for her health for, oh, oh. Randomly about eight or nine months. It's a very normal <laughs> medical length of time yeah, for a melancholy. Of course, eight or nine months. It's exactly the recovery period. <laughs> oh, and I found this child while I was away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Out of the goodness of my heart, I have adopted a poor farmer's <laughs> child. Now, Marianne also made friends with a number of her brother, Professor James Barry's artist friends. Mm. And that really came in handy because Margaret was having trouble finding work as a tutor. And plus, she really just wanted to be a doctor. She didn't want to be a teacher. But it was illegal for women to go to medical school in Britain at the time. So Margaret and Marianne, along with their liberal-minded friends, Daniel Reardon, who was the family's solicitor, Dr. Edward Fryer, who was Margaret's personal tutor, and General Francisco de Miranda, a Venezuelan revolutionary <laughs> living in London. What a cast of characters. I know, right? I was like, James Barry's friends were cool. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Just some interesting smorgasbord. Well, they put their heads together and they came up with an audacious plan. If Margaret couldn't be a woman and be a doctor, then she would become a he at least for the length of medical school. And then General Miranda promised Margaret a job in Venezuela as a doctor because he was all about women's education, women's suffrage, and stuff like that. So he's like, a woman doctor sounds great to me. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> right. So this would be a three-year disguise as Margaret went through medical school. And it had to be carefully done. This is like uh, reverse bosom buddies. 
<laughs> where they had to dress up as women to go to that all-girls school. That's right. A common yeah. plot. I feel like that was a, a, there was some dumb movie where they were dressed as women for no reason. I was like, that's not a thing anymore. Why are you doing this? Oh, no, Bosom Buddies, it was, a, it was an apartment complex that they had to move into that was women only. Oh, so they okay. had to dress up as women <laughs> to fool all their neighbors, I guess. Not a show I watched. Tom Silly. Hanks. Oh. Yeah, wow. that's like where he started, I think. Take it on back, Tom Hanks. Anyway, so... They chose the name James Barry for Margaret since her uncle was dead and wasn't using it anymore. <laughs> Plus, the fact that it was a known name would probably open some doors for her. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard, but uh, in a lot of <laughs> higher education, uh, who you were born from can really help you out. That's right. They chose Edinburgh University because they were unknown in Scotland. No one was going to be like, you look an awful lot like mm. Margaret. <laughs> then on November 30th of 1809, Mary Ann Bulkley and her nephew, James Barry, boarded a ship for Edinburgh, and Margaret Bulkley was no more. James even wrote to the solicitor, Daniel Reardon, quote, It was very useful for Mrs. Bulkley, my aunt, to have a gentleman to take care of her on board the ship and to have one in a strange country. Yes, this is actually the letter that pretty much shed light on James Barry's early life, on his life as Margaret Ann Bulkley. Okay. Because even though it was signed, he signed it James Barry. Right. Daniel Reardon, I guess in like filing it away, he wrote the name Miss Bulkley on the outside of the envelope. Oh. So that's the discovery that the biographers Michael Dupree's and Jeremy Dronfield found in their research to be like, oh, the nephew, James Barry, is the same as the daughter, Margaret Ann Bulkley. They're one and the same. Miss yeah. Bulkley is James Barry. Hmm. So Daniel Reardon not exactly keeping up appearances <laughs> by writing Miss Bulkley on this. Oh, by the way. I know, right? James Barry's actually. <laughs> you gave it away, Daniel. <laughs> Although it turned out to be very useful for us historically. Very true. Later, so. Well. James Barry at this point also started to fudge his birth date. Different sources say that James's birth date was in 1792 or 1795 because he had to explain his youthful appearance. Yeah. You know, they're like, why is that man so pretty? Why has he got <laughs> such curly hair and a hairless face? It was, you know. Once he got to Edinburgh, the University Senate decided that James Barry must be hiding something, and they denied his admission. He had this, this short stature and a high-pitched voice, no facial hair, delicate features. This all points to one thing. James Barry is no man. He's actually a prepubescent boy. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> James wipes some sweat away. He's like, yep, that's me. Just a 15-year-old prodigy. Just a young boy. <laughs> that's what's wrong with me. <laughs> now, fortunately, James Barry had a friend named David Stuart Erskine, who is the 11th Earl of Buchan. And he persuaded them to let James into the school. Okay. So in 1812, James qualified as a doctor. He moved to London a year later, passed the surgeon's exam, and now it's time for James to get a job as a full doctor, Dr. James Barry. But the job that General Miranda had promised Margaret Bulkley was impossible now. Miranda's revolution in Venezuela had failed, oh, and he had geez. been captured and imprisoned in 1812. Miranda, you got to keep up your end of the bargain here, He's like, buddy. sorry, boo, I tried. You promised me you'd win your revolution. What happened? <laughs> I thought I would. <laughs> Turns out they're kind of hard to do. <laughs> so James Barry needed a new plan. Now, Britain had quite a few wars going on at this point, mm. and they were actively seeking doctors in the British Army. So... James Barry joined up as a hospital assistant. By 1815, he was an assistant surgeon on par with a lieutenant, and he received a posting to Cape Town, South Africa. And Lord Buchan once again smoothed the way for James by providing a letter of introduction to the colony's governor, Lord Charles Somerset. Mm. But James Barry won a firm place in Lord Charles Somerset's heart. When Somerset's daughter fell ill right after Barry had arrived in Cape Town, Barry took care of her and she made a complete recovery. And this made Lord Charles Somerset so grateful that he promoted James Barry to his personal physician. 
Barry immediately made a reputation for himself. He was very interested in the relatively new field of preventative medicine. Hmm. So he instituted all these improvements to like water and sanitation systems and the living quarters of enslaved people or prisoners or the mentally ill. And he had a sanctuary set up for people with leprosy. He was like, maybe the people with the infectious disease shouldn't live in the same place as everybody yeah, else. Yeah. Just and, a thought. And maybe what if we put other people in places that weren't crawling with diseases mm. and, and just gave them a nice bed to sleep in so they didn't show up sick to work the next day? They might live. Uh-huh. One article described it as um, uh, as having an appreciation of health care as well as sick care. And ah. I really liked that distinction. Yeah. Now, an article in NewScientist.com says that his patients came from all walks of life and they were treated with equal kindness and expertise. Like women especially found him ideal. They said, quote, a person of breeding who showed consideration to his patients and who understood the complaints of women. Hmm. That's what a woman sounds like to me. Just so you know, that's my hmm. impression. Of that's what I sound like to you. Uh, Yeah. Sorry. Wow. So all women sound like that to We're me. We're going to have to have a conversation after this. <laughs> so you can hear my voice more often. <laughs> Get it right better. Yeah, there's one thing I never hear. It's your voice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, James Barry also instituted regular checks on the soldiers and their medical facilities. He improved hygiene and living conditions for the troops. Quote, in those days when the enlisted soldier was treated with little respect, poorly fed and suffered harsh discipline. Alcoholism and venereal disease were rife and families who accompanied soldiers were treated almost on par with prostitutes and other camp followers. Right. So James is just like is like, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like coming in like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Stop treating people like ass and they will stop getting as sick as ass. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's my You put, you took the words opinion. right out of James Berry's mouth. <laughs> now, James Berry might have been a little short. Uh, he mm. often wore shoes with three inch soles so he could stand a little taller, but he was considered very handsome in his day. He had curly red hair and a winning smile when he felt like being charming. Mm. And he was also a strict vegetarian and teetotaler. He took a goat with him everywhere he went, and he only drank goat's milk. So you, so he's like got a personal drink dispenser at all times. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like kind of brilliant. Stream. <laughs> like, yeah, I got my own little soda stream. Mm -hmm. Today I'm going to get goat's milk Baja Blast. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gross. Uh, as we've said, J James Barry did have a very quick temper. He mm. could be very overbearing and rude. I mean, you know, we laughed about him coming and being like, what the fuck are y'all doing? But that is kind of the vibe that you get from the research. Yeah. But he could also be tender and kind and quite flirtatious with the ladies. In fact, he behaved scandalously enough with one lady that her close friend, Captain Cloetti, challenged Barry to a duel with pistols. <gasps> How dare you speak to my woman friend that way? <laughs> I was like, what did he do? <laughs> now, this was already illegal at the time in the British Army, so they had to duel in secret. Mm. Some sources say that Barry had better aim and took the peak off the captain's hat. And others say that Barry received a flesh wound, but simply retired to his quarters and took care of the wound himself and then showed up a couple days later acting like nothing had happened. <laughs> Either way, Barry and the captain became great friends for the rest of James Barry's life. Oh. <laughs> so I guess it was one of those situations like, we just got to fight it out and now we're cool. Oh, we're cool. We're cool. We just had to get that out of the way. Like, just duel already. Am I right? I know, guys? right? Get a, to get a dueling ground already. <laughs> Well, then around 1820, Dr. Barry was asked to attend to a woman named Mrs. Munnick, and she was having trouble delivering a baby. Dr. Barry decided to perform an emergency C-section. And at this point, 85% of the time, that meant the mother would die. Mm. But James Barry went for it, and he became the first European doctor to perform a successful C-section in the British Empire, where both the mother and the baby lived. Nice. Now, it needs all those little qualifiers because it becomes clear that indigenous Africans manage successful C-section operations frequently, actually. Mm -hmm. According to the National Institute of Health, a British traveler named Robert Felkin witnessed a C-section in Uganda in 1879 and described the treatment, which involved banana wine to semi-intoxicate and therefore like anesthetize the mother. And then he made the incision and used a paste made from roots to dress it and encourage healing. The NIH writes, quote, 
The patient recovered well, and Falcon concluded that this technique was well-developed and had clearly been employed for a long time. Similar reports come from Rwanda, where botanical preparations were also used to anesthetize the patient and promote wound healing. Mm. So you can see it's not the first C-section ever. Uh, Obviously, this was happening in Africa, uh, you know, on a level that white people didn't want to admit or be familiar (laughs) with. (laughs) But it was the first one performed by a European doctor. So it's still pretty impressive. Yeah. Take the win, James. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you see memes or very short articles about James Barry that say he performed the first successful C-section, period. Not true. Mrs. Munnick and her husband Thomas were so grateful that they asked Barry to be the godfather of their new infant, and they named him James Barry Munnick. And this name was passed down through generations until James Barry Munnick Herzog, who was South Africa's prime minister in 1924. Pretty cool. What a legacy. So James Barry's crushing it in South Africa. In fact, by 1822, Lord Charles Somerset promoted him to colonial medical inspector, which was a huge jump in rank and responsibility. That same year, Barry introduced smallpox vaccination to the Cape 20 years before it was introduced in England. He was made a member of the Vaccine Institute and an inspector for the Leprosy Institute. USmedicine.com writes, quote, Dr. Barry was, without question, a pioneer in those fields we now call health promotion and preventive medicine. The fact that he received so little recognition for extending the frontiers of military medicine seems mainly due to his ability to upset the establishment with monotonous regularity. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, Barry's close friendship with Lord Charles Somerset started the rumor mill turning. And we'll hear more about that right after this commercial break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome back to the show, y'all. So James Barry, as we said, could be extremely tactless and rude when he was crusading for better conditions for soldiers and the sick, and he would clash with his superiors all the time. But Lord Charles Somerset always managed to smooth things over and protect James from any repercussions. And in 1824, their close friendship was used against them because a poster suddenly appeared, prominently displayed where the whole town could see it, declaring that Lord Charles Somerset had been seen buggering Dr. James Barry. And even though this poster was torn down real quick, the rumors spread like wildfire, like they do, and Mm -hmm. did not die. In fact, it actually turned into a major scandal. 
you know, once you post a poster, it's there forever. It's like the Internet, you know, (laughs) once people see it, it ain't going away. Now, here's where scholars are not 100 percent sure of the facts. Some say that Lord Somerset knew James's secret and that they did have a physical affair and maybe were even in love. Okay. But if that's the case, Somerset really proved himself uh, to be a solid gold friend because we already know that it was illegal to be gay at this time in Britain or Mm. anywhere in the British Empire. Now, as a lord and governor, it's not super likely that Charles Somerset would have faced the harshest punishments like transportation, imprisonment or death. Right. But at the very least, if he could not beat these accusations, Somerset would be socially ruined, his career in tatters. He would be forced to, like, lay low somewhere in shame and discomfort. Right. So consequences like that, that could lead any friend to betray another, right? It would be very easy for him to be like, I'm not gay because that's not a man, you know, like, very quick to solve that problem for himself. Mm -hmm. But if he did know that James was really a woman, he never said a word. So some historians do believe that Somerset had no idea and they really just had a close personal friendship and no one found out anything until James Barry died and his body was inspected. Interesting. So we don't really know how how much romance was really going on between these two. Could they have been doing it in such a way that Somerset didn't know? Well, that my <laughs> speculation station <Uh-oh. laughs> is that Somerset had a barangier of the long ass situation. Oh my God. <laughs> If y'all haven't heard that episode, you're going to be very confused by this reference. <laughs> uh, maybe James was into it and he's like, all right, we can do this. And he's he's like, let me get <laughs> let me get back there. Wow, you've got a really long asshole. So Barangier, the <laughs> like long it asshole. It starts in the back and goes all the way to the front. <laughs> <laughs> a guy, uh, this was an actual poem written That's way great. back in the day. Medieval times. Medieval times where a guy... A knight, a woman dressed as a knight beat him and flashed her ass at him. She made him kiss her ass. She made him kiss her ass. And he thought that instead of there being a vulva there, it was just a very long Mm -hmm. ass crack. He simply could not get it into his brain that this could be a lady. So he was like, (laughs) this guy must just have a real insane asshole. Okay, so you're saying speculation station, Somerset had the same situation. Somerset was a barangier of the long <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Amazing. Well, a government investigation was launched to examine the truth of these accusations. You know, a, a poster goes up mm. and we got to get the government involved. Oh, yeah. Well, either there's some gay sex going right. on, which is illegal, or somebody's saying something against the governor, which is also yeah. not cool. So, yeah. Now, there's a substack ran by a trans historian, David Obermeyer, notes on a gentleman.com, which is all about James Barry. And it says that this was the work of a guy named William Edwards, an ex-solicitor who already didn't like Lord Charles Somerset. And he'd been accusing his government of corruption for years, mostly because he thought Somerset showed too much preference and lenience to his friends, including James Barry. So this guy's already saying James Barry and Somerset are too close Mm -hmm. and I don't like the way it's shaken out. And oh, by the way, maybe they're buggering each other. Right. I know how to get some action around my accusations. I'll say this. Now, Edward's friend, George Grieg, was also accused of putting up the poster. They did. It's a two man job to put up a poster. (laughs) He was the guy who ran a local paper that Somerset had actually been trying to shut down because Somerset wasn't exactly a fan of freedom of the press. No. (laughs) So Edwards and Grieg both accused of this kind of slander and they were tried and convicted of false accusations. And Edwards was transported. He Mm -hmm. got shipped out of the country off somewhere else. And now, as Obermeyer points out, we have no record of how Somerset and James felt about this, except for an account that James uncharacteristically, quote, burst into angry tears when he was told about the poster. Mm. Other than that, we got nothing. We don't really know exactly you know, how they felt about this. Was this something that was accurate or was it just some horrible thing some Mm -hmm. mean person said? Uh, But the scandal is part of the reason that Lord Charles Somerset left Cape Colony in 1826 after his term as governor ended. And then also James Barry was given a new posting in Mauritius, probably related to this. Yeah. So they they each had to leave Cape Town and each other Mm -hmm. after these accusations, even though they were found false. Now, David Obermeyer, in his article, Infamy and Infidelity, has a lot of interesting research about how this scandal kind of happened at a time when accusations of sodomy 
were tied up with class conflict and government corruption. So kind of we just said William was like, I'm yelling about government corruption and nobody cares. I know I'll I'll make a real crazy something they have to look into. Mm. And that's because there was a case in 1811 where this bishop and member of parliament, his name is Percy Jocelyn, was accused of sexually assaulting a coachman named James Byrne. So just some guy, you know, a poor man who was driving this coach. Right. And Percy uses his influence to completely escape punishment. He got all these wealthy men, all his friends to come to court and be like, oh, my friend Percy would never. He's an upstanding gentleman, an MP. Where is this coachman? What a poor man from nowhere. No mm-hmm. one knows him. Why would you like take his word over this gentleman's word? Wow. So no problem. He Everything got dismissed. But then Percy doubled down and sued Byrne for libel just for accusing him wow. in the first place. Now, eventually, Byrne was forced to sign a statement saying that he had lied about being sexually assaulted by Percy, and he was publicly flogged and nearly died. Damn. Well, 10 years later, Percy Jocelyn is arrested again for having sex with a soldier in a tavern. And everybody realized, oh, shit, James Byrne was telling the truth this whole time. Oh, man. So this whole this whole situation kind of made this case a symbol of class conflict. Obermeyer writes, quote, what better way to characterize the aristocracy's cruelty and predatory intent towards the working class than a lord who had not only gotten away with sexually assaulting a working class man, but managed to get the man beaten to within an inch of his life for daring to speak up at all. So he's basically saying that William and George and whoever was involved with this poster, Mm -hmm. they knew that when they accused Barry and Somerset of sodomy, that would sort of wrap all in all their complaints about government overreach and rules of law for one class versus another. And that also they kind of knew that James Barry, who at this point in his life should have been respectably married with kids, you know, according to the grand traditions of society, Uh would suffer more from these accusations than Lord Charles Somerset because he's a social nonconformist already. So everybody's very willing to believe anything weird you want to say about him. Right. In fact, a lot of the whispers were, oh, uh, Lord Charles Somerset was seen with James Barry's wife, Dr. Barry's wife. And since he didn't have a wife, everybody knew what that meant. And Uh. they would say, oh, he's not the kind to ever have a wife. You know what I mean? It was like became very sly, crazy shit about James Barry. Which would have worked for William because he didn't like James Barry. (laughs) So he's like, great, I want this guy to be really uncomfortable. David Obermeyer concludes the article, quote, Although the Somerset and Barry sodomy scandal has been given little attention by Barry's biographers, it stands at an interesting intersection of social tensions around governmental oversight, social reform, and the disruptive power of non-normative sex both at home in Britain and abroad. Damn. So uh, ultimately, it all came down to, I got other things I want to get taken care of. So let me put this flashy poster up to get everyone's attention. Right. Like I, I even said, I thought, well, Lord Charles Somerset is a lord. You know, he's a governor. And yeah. What's going to happen? You know, he's just going to pay people off or something. Like right. They don't that don't. That's the point. They don't suffer yeah. <laughs> the same way as the rest of us. But at this time, after this this Percy Jocelyn case, it did become more common to accuse lords of mm. sodomy. And I think that's why it was like, oh, you care about this. So that's what we'll do. Right. In that investigation, maybe you'll uncover some other bullshit or at least it'll be in the papers and we can ruin this guy's reputation. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, if Charles Somerset is just handing out jobs to his friends, you know, I've been thinking like James Barry had a lot of people looking out for him Mm -hmm. and giving him privileges that other people might not have had. And fortunately... He turned out to be an amazing person who changed the world for the better. But if right. he had not, he'd just be some other twerp who got, you know, a bunch of handouts, yeah. uh, you know, from from rich family members and friends. Right. Uh, and somebody, you know, he took someone's slot at that school. Well, that's always the problem with nepotism, right? Yeah. Is that you're like, well, you have to hope that the person is good. Right. And that's not always true because the, part of the problem with this is that there was this whole kerfuffle where James Barry is like, all these people are coming to South Africa and opening pharmaceutical, like apothecaries yeah. and stuff, and they're selling medicine. But the medicine is not real medicine. It's snake oil. So he's like, I want to be the one who licensed all the apothecaries in Cape Town. And so people are like, oh, James Barry's just power hungry. He's controlling, you know, but he actually had a really good reason for that. Yeah. Like, he's like, I want to make sure that this is legit what you're selling to these people. Right. 
Um, and so, but somebody wanted their friend to have the job. So he was always clashing with someone else who's wanted their friend to come in. And James was like, no. And his friend is protecting him on and on. So yeah. it was just, it was like two shitty nepotisms at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, despite Charles Somerset and, and James Barry parting ways after these accusations and having to go take new jobs, everything that went down, their friendship endured. In fact, when James found out that Charles Somerset had fallen seriously ill in 1829, James went AWOL to return to England and take care of his friend. And he remained there until Somerset died in 1831. Mm. And when he was asked why he left his post, James Barry apparently said, quote, oh, I was fed up with my hair and wanted a proper haircut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, which, to which his superior, Director General Sir James McGregor, reportedly replied, quote, it would seem, sir, that your audacity is equal to the prodigious growth of your hair. <laughs> I love these wordy 18th century, 19th Burns. century uh, insults. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, despite just dipping to go take care of his friend, James Barry was welcomed back into the army anyway. And he went off to Jamaica and then St. Helena. And in St. Helena... His temper reared its ugly head again, and James was court-martialed and tried for, quote, conduct unbecoming the character of an officer and a gentleman. Ooh, what in the <laughs> he, world? He pulls off his hat and is like, I am no gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no word on what this behavior was, but he was found not guilty and he was honorably acquitted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, probably the same deal. He probably just pissed off the wrong guy again with some sharp words. Yeah. <laughs> He was on the Greek island of Corfu when the Crimean War broke out in 1854, and Barry's hospital took wounded soldiers who had managed to survive the insanely bad conditions at the medical hospital in Scutari in Istanbul. Mm. Now, the Scutari hospital had a lot of the features of military hospitals that Barry objected most strenuously to. Uh. No hygiene, poor sanitation, no equipment to process food for the patients, overworked staff. And worst of all, official indifference. Wow. They're kind of like, do what you got to do. I don't care. Uh, that man's bleeding. Pack some mud in there and call <laughs> it a day and put him next to the healthy guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm busy right now. Just slice his, <laughs> slice his arm off and call it a day. Uh, a new policy in the hospital. All the sick patients should make out with the staff. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll, that'll work out great. We need to give them more antibodies through saliva. <laughs> oh, God. It's great. It'll work out fine. Well, with policies like that, obviously, mass infections were common and usually fatal. Mm. USmedicine.com writes, quote, Dr. Barry received in all 462 casualties from Scutari, and there were only 17 deaths in his hospital. Wow. Obviously, the casualties that were fit enough to travel to Corfu were not as seriously wounded as those confined to Scutari, sure. but it is still a remarkable statistic for its day. Good job, James. This is a great doctor. Yeah. <laughs> James Barry, crushing it. Now, another person objected strenuously to the conditions of soldiers in Crimean military hospitals, and her name was Florence Nightingale. Ooh. Now, she gained her fame by showing up in Scutari with a bunch of nurses. She wrote pleas to the government, being like, you don't understand these dreadful conditions. And then she helped transform the hospital into a much cleaner one with proper sanitation, more available medicines, better diet, better hygiene. The death rate sharply dropped. Well, that's great. I have nothing negative to say about Florence Nightingale. That's right. She's a great gal. Historical hero. Now, you'd think with so much in common that Florence Nightingale and James Barry would get along gangbusters. But let us assure you, they did not. Uh-oh. No, they met in 1857 when Dr. Barry's friend Fitzroy Somerset, who's Lord Charles Somerset's brother, who was also now called Lord Raglan. And yes, for the fashion forward among us, the Raglan sleeve is named for him. Oh, well, there you go. Well, Lord Raglan invited Barry to Crimea to hang out. Now, a battlefield seems like a weird place for a friendly visit, but... If you heard our recent episode about Lady Seymour Worsley, you'll know that battlefield tourism was actually a favorite pastime of the aristocracy. Mm -hmm. They loved to see how it all went down. I could never die. <laughs> now, James Barry met Florence Nightingale on a visit to the improved Scutari Hospital. And there's no details of this argument recorded anywhere, but reports say that they, quote, disliked each other on sight. 
Way in the future, when Florence Nightingale heard about James Barry's death, she called him, quote, the most hardened creature that I have ever met in my life. Now, unfortunately for Barry, Florence Nightingale was also kind of a big deal at this point in her life. She had revolutionized the idea of nursing and advocated for better conditions in hospitals that led to fewer deaths from infection and disease. She also had a lot of influence with the war office. And in 1857, she may have been the one to instigate a transfer for Dr. Barry to Canadian command in Montreal as Inspector General of Hospitals at the rank of Major General. And U.S. Medicine writes that, quote, in this way, she ensured that he never became Director General or received the traditional knighthood that went with the top job. So one of those like, oh, it's like when... um, once transferred <laughs> Captain Holt, you know, is like, right. oh, this is a promotion for you. Mm-hmm. And it totally screws your career. That's right. It's very Damn. much like that. It sounds really good, but actually. Wow. So a very uh, once Holt rivalry between mm-hmm. these two. I hope they had similar insults uh-huh. going back and forth. <laughs> you grackle. <laughs> <laughs> and who wouldn't want to see a man fight a crocodile? <laughs> Oh, Florence Nightingale. But if you're here, who's guarding Hades? <laughs> now, even though Barry is 60 years old by now and in failing health, he still grabbed this Canadian command job with his usual fervor. Mm. He campaigned for and got a better diet for soldiers. He improved drainage and sewerage in the barracks. And he replaced straw pallets with hair mattresses oh. and hair and feather pillows. Is that an improvement? Listen. <laughs> I said hair mattress, excuse me. But then I was like, I guess feathers isn't any weirder. Than hair. Yeah, I, guess I don't feathers know why is just it sounds bird's so hair, weird. Kind of. <laughs> Whose hair is it? I don't know. What kind of hair? Is I don't it animal like this. hair, human hair? I don't know if I want to know. But I guess it was better than whatever the straw they were sleeping on. James Barry also went against opposition from every level of the army to institute separate living quarters for married soldiers. Before Barry, married soldiers and their wives lived with single soldiers, 22 a room, and they just had a thin sheet sort of dividing (laughs) them from all the the fellas. So imagine trying to get get close in those conditions. (laughs) Not great. U.S. medicine says that Barry thought this led to the dehumanizing of families and contributed to alcoholism and venereal disease. So he created separate accommodations for them, and he clamped down on alcohol use. Now, we already know James Barry's a teetotaler, so he was probably like, alcohol sucks anyway. But U.S. Medicine writes, quote, alcohol was universally consumed in huge quantities. It was seen as an essential part of military life, despite the fact that it was the single greatest contributor to accidental deaths at the time. Many a soldier died from hypothermia while sleeping in a drunken stupor. Oh, jeez. So it does seem like another thing. If you're like, I'm here to keep people alive. Yeah. (laughs) That's my whole point. (laughs) Uh, Here's a quick one. (laughs) Let's not make out on the mouth with somebody who has leprosy and also stop drinking. Now, the same year that Barry was posted to Canada, which was 1857, Florence Nightingale's Royal Commission on Army Health was formed. And this was intended to improve and observe conditions in military hospitals. Scientific American writes, quote, after 10 years of sanitary reform in 1873, Nightingale reported that mortality among the soldiers in India had declined from 69 to 18 per 1,000. Nice. Huge drop. That's a huge drop. But as U.S. Medicine writes, quote, even though it was widely known that Dr. James Barry was responsible for devising and initiating many of the reforms the Royal Commission endorsed, Florence Nightingale appears to have been instrumental in ensuring that he never received more than a passing recognition. He paid dearly for their spat in the Crimean War. Damn. Wow, Florence Nightingale holds a grudge. Who would have thought that she's the villain of the week, in my opinion? <laughs> well, also, what did James Barry say? I do want to you know, know. I wish I could be there. That's one of those things where I'm like, mm, if I could be the fly on the wall, that would be such a great conversation <laughs> to hear. Because <laughs> you know he was like, 
you aren't doing enough or something. You he know, he cut, was like... Whatever it was, it cut deep. She got real mad. Yeah. Now, there's something interesting about Florence Nightingale is that she did not respect women very much, uh, oh. despite herself being one and, you know, feeling that there was a place for women in medicine. She actually didn't really have a lot of use for women. She didn't mm. like women. She preferred men a lot. So I'm like, is that weird? Is there something weird with like, does she kind of like unconsciously be like, that's a lady and I don't trust her. <laughs> like, I don't know. Some kind or of into it. like you said, James Barry is just a bit of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, in 1859, Dr. Barry became ill with pneumonia and he was sent home to England. Later that year, he was placed on half pay and forced to retire despite his strenuous objections. Mm. So he went on home to London with only his servant and his dog for company. But during a very hot month in the summertime, Dr. Barry contracted dysentery. And on July 25th, 1865, Dr. James Barry died at 70 years old. Now, for most people, that would be the end of the story. Hmm. But not Dr. Barry. Oh. His story was basically just beginning. What? So we'll find out more about that right after these words. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Welcome back. After James Barry's body was discovered, his usual doctor, Major McKinnon, was called in to declare James dead. Now, Dr. McKinnon had known James Barry for years, so he didn't even bother to examine his body. He just wrote up a death certificate, and a day later, an unnamed nobleman's valet arrived to take away Barry's dog and his personal papers, and he gave his servant some money to return to Jamaica. That was that. Mm -hmm. Boring death story. Right. <laughs> But then a charwoman was brought in to prepare the body for burial. And many sources say there's no clear indication of who this was, although U.S. medicine calls her Sophia Bishop. As she stripped the body to wash it and redress it in burial clothes, as was her job, but only to discover to her amazement that, genitally speaking, Dr. Barry was a woman. What? Sophia even suspected that James Barry had been a mother, given that he had some stretch marks on his stomach. Right. As we had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, that secret baby Juliana that might have mm -hmm. been his. Now, apparently, Sophia was having trouble getting paid for her funeral services. So she marched right to Dr. McKinnon and she demanded that he pay her right then and there or she would go straight to the press. Not long after, Dr. McKinnon received a letter from the General Register office asking him to verify her claims. Right. They're like, we got a death certificate here that says a guy died, but this lady's saying a lady died. What's mm -hmm. going on? <laughs> 
Now, Dr. McKinnon wrote in response that he had known Dr. Barry for years. He attended him as a physician. He never suspected a thing about his gender one way or the other. And he continued, quote, On one occasion after Dr. Barry's death, I was sent for to the office of Sir Charles McGregor, and there the woman who performed the last offices for Dr. Barry was waiting to speak to me. She wished to obtain some perquisites of her employment, which the lady who kept the lodging house in which Dr. Barry died had refused to give her. Amongst other things, she said Dr. Barry was a female, and that I was a pretty doctor not to know this, and that she would not like to be attended by me. (laughs) She then said that she had examined the body, and that it was a perfect female, and farther, that there were marks of her having a child when very young. I then inquired, how have you formed this conclusion? The woman, pointing to the lower part of her stomach, said, from marks here, I am a married woman and the mother of nine children, and I ought to know. The woman seemed to me to think that she had become acquainted with a great secret and wished to be paid for keeping it. I informed her that all Dr. Barry's relatives were dead and that it was no secret of mine and that my own impression was that Dr. Barry was a hermaphrodite. But whether Dr. Barry was male, female, or hermaphrodite, I do not know, nor had I any purpose in making the discovery. (laughs) I love this letter. (laughs) This lady is so rude. I love her being like, you, what a shit doctor you are. <laughs> well, you know, she's trying to get paid. Very true. Somebody wasn't paying her. And, it, you know, she should get paid, I guess. Right. But, uh, but I guess they don't work out who does that if somebody is, uh, right. like has no immediate family nearby. What a weird. <laughs> well, Dr. McKinnon said it ain't my job. And uh-huh. he refused to pay this lady. It ain't my secret. Right? Say whatever you like. And as promised, she made the story public. And of course, it spread like wildfire. Letters appeared in print from people who knew Barry, either claiming to have known all along or expressed complete disbelief. Our old buddy Charles Dickens even wrote a fictitious account of James Barry's life in 1867 in his weekly literary magazine, All the Year Round. And it's in this where Dickens gave the name Black John to Barry's servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the only place we know of the servant to be named. Yeah. But generally he, referred to as John. Yeah. If you look up this story, you might see John other mm-hmm. places, but apparently it, it originated with Charles. with Charles's imagination. <laughs> now, this whole scandal, such a kerfuffle that the British Army chose to seal Dr. James Barry's records for a hundred years. A little embarrassed, I guess. Right. <laughs> He was buried as Dr. James Barry, Inspector General of Hospitals. And it wasn't until the 1950s that historian Isabel Ray gained access to the army records and concluded that he was the niece of the painter James Barry. And it wasn't until 2016 that all the pieces of James's life were put together by Michael Deprez and Jeremy Dronfield. So, of course, the remaining questions are pretty impossible to answer without James Barry himself here to answer them. Now, David Obermeyer dedicates a couple articles arguing that the insistence on James Barry having had a child and even the attribution of his full name being James Miranda Stewart Barry, which you will see a lot. If you you type in James Barry doctor, it comes up as James Miranda Barry all the time. Okay. But James Barry never used the name Miranda himself. In Mm. any of his letters, he never used it. So where did Miranda come from? So David Obermeyer's argument is that that's sort of a way for modern historians or modern thinkers to underline and emphasize that this was a woman and not a man. So they really want to hammer home Miranda, a a female name. They really want to hammer home this kid so that you are making sure you think, oh, this is a lady in men's clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Obermeyer points out First of all, that James doesn't use the names Miranda or Stewart in any of his papers. And also that the American Academy of Dermatology cites several reasons aside from pregnancy that a person may have stretch marks on their stomach, including sudden growth, sudden gaining or losing of weight, gaining muscle mass, certain genetic conditions. We also do know that James had uh, dysentery, so it is possible that they had a lot of weight loss. Sure. And that might be where that came from. There's also no real evidence that a baby ever happened. As we mentioned in the start, Juliana, the young sister, has been pretty convincingly linked to James's mother having an affair rather than James himself having Mm. a baby. 
But this pregnancy, whether it existed or not, is enough evidence for some that James was and wanted to be a woman. Mm. Obermeyer shares a tweet from 2018 that says, quote, They're trying to trans another woman who defied stereotypes and pretended to be a man so she could practice medicine. James Barry, born Margaret Ann Bulky, also gave birth to a baby. So 100 percent female. A lot of problems in that tweet. A lot of a lot of presuppositions in this yeah, tweet, for yeah. sure. It's yeah. really not fair to say that. We we know some trans men can definitely have babies and mm-hmm. have had mm-hmm. babies. Um, and it's weird to say that something that might have happened before she chose to transition has anything to do with him now. You know what I mean? Right, right. Now, the Guardian also has an article detailing a debate that sprung up after a new novel about James Barry's life came out that only used she her pronouns for James and called him, quote, a heroine for our time. Novelist Celeste Ning wrote that, quote, many are telling you Barry himself used and wanted he him pronouns. And writer Alexandra Aaron tweeted, quote, he categorized himself as a man, lived as a man, died as a man and would have preferred to be buried as a man. There's no room for interpretation. The author of the novel in question, E.J. Levy, wrote that, quote, in death as in life, Dr. Barry engenders controversy. But one thing is clear. She refused facile gender categories. So do I in my novel. To insist Barry is trans distorts complex history. There's no evidence Barry considered herself trans. She dressed as a man as needed to be a soldier, doctor. I used she her pronouns as her biographers do. Right, but some of these biographers clap back on that because another of James's biographers, whose name is Rachel Holmes, wrote The Secret Life of Dr. James Barry in 2002. And Rachel told The Guardian that using female pronouns was, quote, really quite disrespectful. As a young feminist, when I set out to write this book, which was based on Ph.D. research, I thought I was writing a story of a woman who cross-dressed in search of fame and fortune because she couldn't become a doctor wearing skirts. I was struck very quickly when I started doing research that this wasn't the case at all. In her opinion, Dr. Barry had androgen insensitivity syndrome, meaning he was genetically male but had female or ambiguous genitalia. That sort of put Rachel Holmes in agreement with our major Dr. McKinnon, Mm -hmm. who thought Barry might be right, who thought Barry might be a hermaphrodite or we would call it intersex today. Holmes believes that today James Barry would identify as a trans man. Mm. But some are not so sure one way or the other. Like one Cardiff professor and an author, Anne Heilman, does think that by today's standards, James would be trans, given that he not only lived and presented as a man to the outside world, but in his private life as well. But still, she tells The Guardian, quote, I don't think that Barry can be easily mapped onto contemporary trans thought. Though, of course, There have always been trans people. The lived and felt gender identity of an 18th and 19th century person would have been very different from our contemporary identity politics. Yes. And Jeremy Dronfield, who co-authored the biography, Dr. James Barry, A Woman Ahead of Her Time, with Michael Dupreeze, says he chose to use male pronouns throughout, saying that when Margaret first became a man, it was intended to be temporary. And he tells The Guardian, quote, there's evidence that Barry missed being a woman, but we also know that he relished being a man, his behavior exceeding what was necessary for disguise. But he says the claim that Barry left a will asking to be remembered as a man is false. So we don't have any definitive idea of how he thought of himself. Dronfield concludes, quote, if Margaret had been born in 1989 instead of 1789, free to be a surgeon and soldier, Would she have chosen to become a man? On balance, I don't think so, but Margaret might have identified as non-binary. I have no argument with seeing James Barry as a transgender icon or Margaret as a feminist role model. I do take issue with those who insist on recognizing one and erasing the other. I love that quote. Yeah, I like that too, because I think this comes up a lot for us where you have women who were incredibly constrained by their gender. Yeah. So it wasn't any expression of, I wish I were a man, wasn't about their body. It was about how they got to move through the world. Right. And how much freedom they had and how much choice they had and how many options they had and where they could travel and with whom and where. 
you know, um, some people are arguing now that Louisa May Alcott would be a trans man because she wrote a lot. You know, I wish I were a man. Would that I were a man? Mm -hmm. But it was a lot to do with because women aren't allowed to do what I want to (laughs) do. So I wish I were a dude so I could do what I want to do. Right. Rather than I wish women were allowed to do what I want to do. You know what I mean? Like the society around it, it seemed easier to change your own gender than to change the society that you were living in, I guess. Well, and there's value so, in kind of reexamining people, you know, in history through, uh, you know, all of our modern understandings and, mm-hmm. and not even understandings, but just conversations and theories yeah. and things that we're coming up with now. And I think as Dronfield says, uh, it can be both. I mean, this is this is a person who died a long ass time ago and has no idea what we're talking about today in terms right. of how they would identify or how they would move through the world. It's totally incomparable in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So is there value in James Barry as a trans icon? Absolutely. Is there value in saying this person, Margaret, born a woman, grew up and found a way through the world to be a doctor when women weren't allowed to? Yeah, there's value in that story, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just kind of, you know, intellectual arguing about which one is more accurate seems kind of frivolous. You can see why it matters in a way sure. just from that tweet that we read that Obermeyer shared because the tweet is very aggressive. Yeah. It's very much like they're trying to do a thing again and right. say a lady, but they definitely were a lady, not a man. I don't want to hear that. You know, it's just very defensively yeah. written. Yeah. So you can see why somebody would be like, I really want to let you know that that's not the case. I, I do want there. I want to be able to point to unambiguously trans people through history. So you're not saying that my lived experience is just some little fad or trend that I'm trying to do or whatever. And there are lots of people like James Barry. There's several people through history, women who dress like men in order to do really brave, very courageous things like fight in wars and crazy shit. Or the opposite, like the bosom buddies, you know, who could not get into that apartment. (laughs) Are they they not allowed to have the apartment? (laughs) You know, or, or, um, or be a jazz musician or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. like there's there's so many there's a few on our list that we're, we're definitely going to get to. And in some cases, the jazz musician, for example, is Billy Tipton. They certainly wanted to be a man. That was that is pretty unambiguous yeah. with others. It's really just like I have this spirit in me and this courage in me that I want to be out there doing these things that only men get to do. So yeah. what do I care? I'll put some pants on if you care so much. Yeah fine i don't care but they didn't have any kind of dysmorphia about who they were necessarily right it was just about feeling constrained by your society Mm -hmm. so in a way this part is also feeling constrained by society you know obermeyer clearly feels a little constrained by society and wants to prove like this person was a man and i need that i need that to be true and some people really need it to not be true right right so i like that quote from jeremy dronfeld as well because it felt like the most encompassing of it yeah i think it's true that there's really no way to know there is no answer in a modern context you know there There is is only the exact story of james barry's life is all we have Mm -hmm. you know and we can't say well but if today Mm -hmm. you know because i don't know if you know taking it out of a gender conversation if george washington were alive today would he have been a revolutionary general or would he have been a podcaster? Like, you know, it's, who knows? I don't know. I can't say that. Uh, he probably would have been a podcaster. He probably would have been the worst podcaster. He <laughs> would have been like military history with George Washington. I don't, I don't feel good about what his podcast would have I know. Said. Probably not. I mean, <laughs> I do find it a little weird that EJ Levy is up here being like, oh, I use she, her pronouns like her biographers do. And then immediately biographers are like, that's really disrespectful. <laughs> like, what <laughs> biographies are you reading then? Yeah. But then Jeremy Dronfield is like, I use he, him pronouns, but the book is called A Woman Ahead of Her Time. So how did you use male pronouns throughout the book when you're talking, you know, you immediately told me that you're talking about a woman. Well, and he wrote that with Michael Dupree's. Did they alternate chapters? <laughs> I know, right? Maybe. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I'm like, I guess E.J. Levy was reading only the biographers who use she, her pronouns. Right. Or who only use the 70s or the 50s biographies yeah, that they yeah. wrote of Yeah, him, she, but, she was selective yeah, in who but, she was citing. But Charles Dickens, even when he was writing the article in all the year long of James Barry's life, still called him a man, still called him he. Yeah. Most people did. 
Yeah. So it's so interesting to me that like they manage the pronouns better than than we do now. Well, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a fascinating tale though about James Barry, and there's never a time that he seemed to consider leaving the army or the medical profession to like I don't know get married and have kids or anything like yeah. that that you might expect him to want at some point in his life. Um. No, he was like, I want to be a doctor. This is what I want. I'm doing yeah. what I want. So yeah. I'm happy with this. And yeah. as far as we know, he lived as a man in private. As exactly. Well. Yeah. It, there's no like dress at home that he put on right. to feel like himself or something. He felt right. like himself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the main lesson, I think, is that when society gets off their boot off your neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can feel like yourself in any number of clothes or roles. Yeah. And it doesn't have to mean one thing or another about your sexuality. What a nice lesson. I love it. So get your boot boot off my neck, neck, society. (laughs) Sick of your shit. (laughs) Us with the heavy boots on our necks. I know, right? (laughs) We're really (laughs) suffering over here. No, but I really want to thank Milo Ira at Bon Mott Milo for this great suggestion because it was a really interesting story to look into. And I love James Barry. I I really you have to you have to admire the courage of this person's convictions. Oh, yeah. Because however they felt, they were like, let me get in. I want to get my hands Mm -hmm. dirty and I want to make things better. And, and honestly, didn't seem to really care about this credit thing or this knighthood like that. No. That's shitty of Florence Nightingale. But there's no indication that James Barry particularly cared. You know, for him, it was like, I want to practice the medicine. And who amongst us is willing to go toe to toe with Florence Nightingale? You know, Great maybe question. it's about time somebody said something <laughs> when James Barry spoke up. I love the idea, though, of like Florence Nightingale having shown up and done all this work and improved conditions like a lot. maybe, uh-huh. And then James Barry shows up and he's like, what's this shit? Looks like <laughs> trash. You should see my hospital in Corfu. You know what I mean? And she's like, I'm sweating over here. <laughs> you should have seen it a week ago. How dare you, sir? Like you know? Florence Nightingale. I don't know if you heard. Mm, Amazing. I, I might be somebody and I'm going to really make you heard <laughs> for this conversation. Well, thanks again, Milo. And if you, like them, have a suggestion for us, please send it our way. Our email is ridicromance at gmail.com. Right. Or reach out on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at Oh Great, It's Eli. And the show is at Ridic Romance. Don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us in the new year. And we can't wait to see you all in the next episode. Love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 